Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Jonathan Bastable. Welcome to Condé Nast Traveller's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on the Kimberley in Australia, which featured in the March 2019 issue of Condé Nast Traveller. I hope you enjoy it. I can't forget the Bungle Bungle. Not so much because of the funny name, but because it's one of the strangest places I've ever been. The Bungles are an isolated mountain range in the middle of the Kimberley, the vast wilderness in the northwest corner of Australia. They consist of dozens of egg-shaped domes, striped red and black like Dennis the Menace's jumper. The best of the Bungles comes at the end of a walk through the foothills of these geological tea cozies. There is a place where a waterfall has scooped out an immense cavity like the nave of a church. This enormous space, flooded with light from above, is as cool as a fridge and as silent as a monastery. At the centre of it is a green algae-covered pool, opaque and lustrous like a marble floor. And as in some man-made structures, such as St Paul's in London, you can clearly hear someone speaking 300 yards away, on the far side of the natural auditorium. This was Cathedral Gorge. I sat here for a long while, like a reflective pilgrim at the end of a long journey. Hardly anyone in the wider world even knew the bungles were there until 1982, when a passing film crew spotted them from the air. I too caught my first sight of them from 2,000 feet. They were one of the highlights of a helicopter safari that took me all over the Kimberley, across endless terracotta desert where there is not the smallest sign of human habitation, along mangrove-lined rivers, above coasts where the offshore islands look like rustic scones on a platter of blue cobalt. The trip began in the little outback town of Kununura, where I met up with Liam Dumbrell, who was to be pilot and guide for the six-day trip. The dawn departure was exhilarating. 
The helicopter lifted off the ground, swaying gently as if it was being winched up on a rope. The nose dipped and it lurched forward, skimming across the airfield at head height, before pausing as if for breath, then rising sharply upwards into the sky. On that first hop we flew over sandalwood plantations and orchards of banana and mango, all the while keeping an eye out for salties, saltwater crocodiles. There's one up by the dam that holds back Lake Argyle, said Liam. People call it the gatekeeper. I spotted a few salties in the shallows down below, looking like tadpoles in a pond. One was coolly eyeing up a wallaby on the riverbank. That little skippy had no idea of the mortal danger it was in. The Kimberley is riven with deep gorges, and in places where the plateaus end, the rivers become spectacular waterfalls. We stopped at several and flew over a few more, so that in the course of the trip I became a connoisseur of cascades. This was August and every one of them was bone dry, but they were no less impressive for that. The first one we came to was the King George. We landed on its rocky lip, so close to the edge that the helicopter's tail hung in the air. We climbed out and looked down the canyon. Sheer red cliffs, as deep as a skyscraper is tall, faced each other as if across a street in midtown Manhattan. Later came Eagle Falls on the Drysdale River, which ziggeratted down to a circular lake. The encompassing cliff was as round and sheer as the inside of an oil drum, one with a diameter of, say, the Albert Hall. At the far end of the lake, where the river flowed out, there stood two natural towers of rock, like the barbican of some ruined fortress. Further on, at Mitchell Falls, it was hard to believe that the jagged chasm had been wrought by the water over millions of years. The crust of the earth appeared to have been torn apart like a loaf fresh from the baker. In a couple of months' time, these dry beds would be filled with thundering torrents. Everyone we met talked about the coming rainy season, the big wet, they call it, when the temperature soars away into the 40s and the humid air is as thick as wallpaper paste. It was like they were talking about the advent of Christmas, which in a sense they were, because Christmas, the tropical midsummer, is when the big wet is at its wettest. The rivers of the Kimberley all bowl north towards the Timor Sea. And at Cambridge Gulf, on the dunes above the coast, is Barclay River Lodge. There are no roads this far out. The only way to get to this fabulous hotel is by air or by sea. I was greeted at the entrance with iced tea and cold towels, very pleasing after our long flight into the sun. But the welcome was no less friendly when we encountered the other guests. They were positively evangelical about the place. Was that you landing in the chopper? You're going to love it here. Someone said to me, you look like you're from Melbourne. And it turned out that he meant I was too warmly dressed for the tropical spring. In the afternoon, I poodled up the Barclay River in a tinny, an aluminium powerboat that looks like it's been hammered out of a baking tray. We chugged swiftly inland from the wide river mouth and were soon passing between high cliffs. Here on the riverbank, I saw a salty up close. 
It was rubbery or maybe leathery and as still as a discarded shoe. Its mouth was slightly agape, as if it had been frozen in a moment of surprise, and its back legs looked detachable like the limbs of a doll. It was quite the most evil-looking creature I have ever set eyes on. The cabins at Bartley River are anchored to the sand dunes like yachts in a bay. Each one has a window facing the sea, so throughout the night you hear the tide do its soporific hokey-cokey with the shore. I would have happily spent a week here, but after breakfast the next morning it was upward and onward. We soared over far away bay and traversed a series of looping promontories on our way to Cape Londonderry, the northernmost tip of Western Australia. Then we tracked southwest along the fringe of Admiralty Gulf, past the Osborne Islands with their offshore pearl farms, into the Bay of Port Warrender, where we spiralled down to the beach at Kimberley Coastal Camp. There are two ways to arrive here, said Tub White as he greeted me at the helipad. Like a rock star, or like a rock star. It's a fine time to be here, said his wife Jules, giving me a hug as if I were her oldest friend. The plants are flowering and the billabongs are full. Life at Kimberley Coastal Camp centres on a big open-sided barn, decorated with the flotsam of the ages, croc skulls and ghost gum branches, sea charts and sun-bleached shells, skillets and bush hats hung on posts. The heart of the place is the kitchen, where Jules spends much of her time. She is a Sydney cider and used to be a session singer, working with some of the best in the business. She is also a tremendous cook. You can tell that even before you sample her food, by the easy way she handles a paring knife or cranks dough through the pasta maker, humming tunefully to herself as she works. I offered to sous chef, but Jules had it covered. It's funny how often people ask to help though, she said. I don't know why. I asked Jules what brought her here and she nodded at the tangerine disc of the setting sun. This is the most remote corner of Australia and we're the only people who don't close up in the wet, she said. You should see it then. When a storm rolls in over the water, it's like armies waging war in the distance. Before dinner, we helped ourselves to a cold stubby from the fridge, then sat down with our hosts. The meal consisted of crab ravioli, each fat pasta cushion, topped with a tiger prawn the size of a meat hook, barramundi with snow peas and a chilli tomato sauce, and for dessert, a raspberry and dark chocolate pudding. I rose at dawn because Tub was taking me fishing. Liam the pilot came along and he turned out to be a seasoned sea angler, priming all the rods with bait and acting as Tub's first mate. Tub was in his element. Within minutes of casting a line, he caught a queen fish, followed by several finger-marked bream, fingeries, as Liam and Tub called them. After an hour's easy angling, we headed for a little island with the unlikely name of Malcolm. It was still only 11 o'clock in the morning, but we were ready for lunch. Once on shore, 
Tub dips the clean fingeries in seasoned flour and fried them at the water's edge. Nothing could have been more simple or more delicious. To sit on the sand, plates on knees, eating slabs of pearly white fish hot from the pan. I stayed two nights with Tub and Jules and have rarely been sadder to leave a place. They pull off the trick that hotels the world over claim to have mastered, which is to make you feel completely at home. Once they had faded to waving dots below us, we headed inland towards the Mitchell River, where Liam had a surprise in store. He put the helicopter down in a gap between some spindly trees. There's something here I want to show you, he said. He led the way through sharp-edged grass towards an outcrop and ushered me through a gap like the crack in a door. Just beyond, in a high overhang, were some truly spellbinding rock paintings. A row of lanky figures, each about a yard tall, seemed to be dancing. Their backs were arched, and some had their arms raised, as if pogoing in a kind of ecstasy. These were Bradshaw paintings, the Eurocentric name for what is claimed to be the oldest category of cave art in Australia. Estimates of their age vary, but they could be more ancient than any Egyptian hieroglyph, any Lascaux beasts. Yet here they stood, these prehistoric dancers, as fresh as ever they were, and not in a museum or a national park, just on a forgotten rock in the middle of nowhere. My last overnight stop was at El Cuestro, a splendid chic lodge that feels like a relaxed Argentinian hacienda, which is not surprising as this is also a working cattle station. We landed on the front lawn, another superstar entrance, just in time for evening drinks. At El Cuestro, all guests gather for aperitifs before sitting down to supper at a single long table. It was like being at an excellent dinner party with new friends, and once again the food was outstanding. Seared weathervane scallops with braised pork belly, lamb backstrap with herb polenta, chai pistachio panna cotta with mango sorbet. The final leg of the safari took us to the bungles, then over the cracked and rumpled terrain that led back to the wide expanse of Lake Argyle. Now there were human traces on the landscape. The Great Northern Highway, an unwavering pencil line ruled on the ground, and an open cast mine which was a deep cone-shaped hole on the face of the earth. We also saw fire scars, blackened patches covering hundreds of square miles, and looking more like bruises than scars. Then at last, Kununur Airfield, where the adventure had begun. I don't know that I have ever travelled through landscapes more stark or more stunning. And to do it all by helicopter, to look from on high at the fractal patterns that form where mangroves bloom on the floodplains, to be deposited on deserted mountaintops like an astronaut arriving on a new planet, to fly in looping curves over still uncharted bites and coves, it was all beyond magical. In six days we'd covered 800 nautical miles, about 1,500 kilometres of parched wilderness. And as Liam gingerly guided the helicopter earthward for the last time, a few drops of rain, the first heralds of the big wet, splashed emphatically on the chopper's windshield.
This podcast is sponsored by Tourism Australia. Australia has one of the world's best food and wine scenes and is also home to the oldest living culture on earth. Every part of Australia is Aboriginal country and each part of the land has its own unique and ancient story. The Kimberley is located in the northernmost part of Western Australia. It is accessible by air from Broome Airport and flights connect it to Perth and to Darwin. There are also seasonal services to other Australian cities. The six-night Heli Spirits luxury helicopter safari costs roughly £10,500 per person, including all meals, drinks, private helicopter, accommodation and tours. For more information, visit helispirit.com.au. For more information on planning a trip to the Kimberley, visit australia.com. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.